Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me. Freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. Here's your New York Sports Talk from Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. Spring training is here. Baseball is coming back. We're going to have the start of the season on April 1st. We are got pitchers and catchers in Florida. You know, it's snowy here in New York. Still about a foot of snow on the ground. We're talking about the baseball beat. Will Snyder and Anthony Sorbellini. We will break down the offseason for the locals. Talk a little bit going around the league. Sort of set the stage for the spring training stuff, and then we'll check back in with them around opening day. That's coming up in just a bit. We're also going to dive into some more of the odds and ends of the baseball situation with our legal guy, Phil Fred. Talk about the situation with Steve Cohen, why he's off Twitter, some of the COVID rules, and some other fun things with Phil as well. Make sure you walk into the end of the show. This is pop culture. It's going to be a baseball-themed one. I got a chance to check out the CC Sabathia documentary on HBO Max, Under the Grapefruit Tree, and we'll be joined by Alan Austin to break that down at the end of the show. Okay, I'll start with this week's opening tip. Uh, with my thoughts on the offseason for the locals, right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time, talking about the baseball offseason. Mets and Yankees both reporting to camp this week, and it's been an interesting offseason for the locals. The Mets, we've sort of gone through the whole thing already about all the big moves, the ones they made, the ones they didn't make, you know the major points. The interesting thing here at the Met offseason is that they've done a lot, but it still feels incomplete. Are they a much better team we saw last year? Absolutely. Are they going to make the playoffs? As long as everybody's healthy, they will make the playoffs. The issue to me is that I know a lot of my fans feel this way too, is that there are still were still opportunities on the table to improve that the Mets did not fully embrace. The Trevor Bauer thing we've been over a couple of times. Nothing to really do about that. Made competitive money offer. He wanted to go back to LA and go home, go play for the Dodgers. There was nothing the Mets could do to top that. George Springer. You can make the argument, hey, maybe they should have gone all out of top Toronto's offer, the 6-150. But if you can also defend it, because I personally am in the camp of, hey, they did not need to do that because if you're giving George Springer a six-year deal, as Sandy also said many times, teens financially, unless you're willing to pay $300 million a year in payroll and pay all the luxury tax penalties, you only can afford so many of these long-term contracts. And if you're giving one like that to George Springer, they don't have a slide able to retain Michael Conforto, who's younger, homegrown, left-handed hitter, for a guy who might be shifting out of a corner in two years. That, I feel like that's the sensible thing that decision. There are moments about that you can defend. The things that are bothering the Mets fans, in my opinion, more, are the choices the front office has made not to make reasonable debt moves. Like James Paxton going back to the Mariners for one year, $8.5 million. Could the Mets have topped that? They could have. They chose not to. They were in the mix for Justin Wilson. It could have been a big addition to the bullpen with Seth Lugo's injury. Now he's out for at least a month of the season, possibly longer. They were right there at the Yankees. They said, 
no thanks, we're not going to top the Yankee price. The Mets' debt moves right now, they seem to be focused more on the minor league side and filling out the 40-man roster. Now, this is not the Brody Van Wagenen era minor league deals. These are guys with higher upsides. They brought in guys like Mike Montgomery, who has a good tracker as a starter and a reliever with the Cubs, the Royals, a couple other places. They brought in Tommy Hunter, who has a good reputation as a solid big league reliever. These sort of feels like that the Mets were building this excitement. They go, oh, Marcus Stroman opted in. You signed James McCann. You signed Trevor May. You make the big trade for San Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. Like you're building something big, and then it just stops. You don't get to the climax. You're kind of just stuck in the middle of the elevator. That piece, the final piece, what you thought it was Spower, what you thought it was Springer, what you thought it was a combination of guys like Brad Hand, Jackie Bradley Jr., that move did not come. It could still come with the deadline. They do have some issues. They could use more pitching depth. They still could probably use an upgrade center field. They have Kevin Pillar now. They have Albert Armour to go team with Nimmo. You could argue they could do better there. You could argue they could upgrade a third base because they were not thrilled with J.D. Davis most of the offseason, but they opted not to go make a move that direction. This team should still be a playoff team. They have the tools to go get that final piece at the deadline, but they're going to be in the mix all year. The Yankees, on the other hand, are much quieter. They did what they had to do. They took care of DJ Mayhew. They gave him six years, which you don't want to give pay until 38, but they did that to manipulate the luxury tax. We understand that. The pitching choices were interesting here. They gave $11 million to Corey Kluber, who has made exactly eight starts since 2017. He won the Cy Young. 18, he pitched in six, got hurt. Traded to Texas, made one start last year, got hurt, and did not finish the season. Instead of re-signing Machio Tanaka, who we got over before, gives them innings, gives them durability and dependability. They opted not to do that, try and pursue the upside of Corey Kluber. The Jason Tyone trade I love, a masterstroke for Brian Cashin, because it fit the needle of not a big prospect cost, a good AAV cost for the luxury tax. And, you know, there are questions there. This team should still win the AL, AL East, because Tampa Bay downgraded. They traded away Blake Snell to avoid losing in free agency and try and cut the court early. They let Charlie Morton go in free agency, and they, he's now brave. There are issues there. Tampa's gotten worse. The Yankees stay about the same. They should win the ALEs, so I don't think Toronto's ready yet. But is it good enough to win the American League? The pitching is still the question here to me. We want to see what happens in that rotation because, obviously, as we saw at the Mets last year, they're on a very thin tightrope. Can, they can either thread the needle, walk the tightrope, have everything go right, and they can win 105 games and be right in the World Series. Or if things go horribly wrong, this team can win 82 when they're fighting to get in the playoffs. The bullpen also feels a bit thin beyond its top three options of Chapman, Britton, and Green, especially if they dumped Adam Adovino for salary relief. We will see what happens there. Very interesting season for them. Let's talk more about the baseball with the baseball beat right after this. This ball is crushed. It's time for the baseball beat. With Will Schneider and Andy Play ball!
All right, we are back here on the podcast. Time to reunite the baseball beat. Spring training is here. We're recording on Thursday the 18th. It may be snowing in New York, but the pitchers and catchers are down in Florida getting ready for the year. First up, the unofficial coast of this podcast. Watching his New York Rangers right now, Will Schneider. Will, how are you? Uh, I'm good, yeah. If you see my eyes darting back and forth, it's because I got the Rangers on behind me, behind this. <laughs> yeah, so we'll try to some real time. What's the score right now this game? Uh, one nothing Flyers coming out of the uh, first intermission. So yeah. didn't look phenomenal in the first, but let's hope they can start getting some goals. That Michael Raffle goal has stood up. Yes, it did. Yeah. yeah, I got a few words on that, but yeah, <laughs> Panarin banged one off the crossbar. He's he almost had one. So we'll see. We'll see how this progresses during this episode. Maybe I'll get increasingly happier, a little bit more annoyed. Yeah, if he's getting angstier, you know the Rangers are losing by more. <laughs> Also with us today, Anthony Sorbellini is here, as always. Anthony, how are you? Good, guys. How are you doing? Pretty good. And I got to say, nice you actually rocked the baseball gear. I was playing there wearing Mets shirts, I completely forgot. <laughs> I just, I'm always wearing a hat, so it's pretty odd if I'm not wearing a hat. So figured might as well throw the Yankee hat on today. I can count on my hands how many times I think I've seen you without a hat. You're right. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that is a rare sight. And now people are seeing it on the Zoom for the first time. Anthony always does rock the hat. And we do have to start out the podcast today with some major breaking news in Major League Baseball. Tim Tebow has officially retired. He will no longer be an option for the Mets. Will, your thoughts? Well, I thought we were going with the shortstop of San Diego here. But yeah, <laughs> that's not good. Tim Tebow, my thoughts, I honestly, I don't, ha- I don't really have it. <laughs> it just, this is exactly how you thought it would end. And uh <laughs> Hey, good luck to whatever he does now. He wasn't that great of a baseball player, (laughs) not that great of a quarterback. And uh, maybe, what's he doing, TV now maybe? Doing uh, doing some TV. Good luck, Tim. Say, Part of me me forgot that he was still playing baseball to some (laughs) capacity. I was like, oh, yeah, Tim Tebow. I mean, they did give him the training camp invite. He was going to be at spring training, so that frees up a spot for somebody guys to contribute to this team in the future. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the move for bringing Tebow in was always a publicity stunt just to get more more people in the stands. But there really wasn't a true shot for him to get called up. Now, was there? Yeah, no. You want to know exactly. why? You want to know why that uh, Tim Tebow was called was on the roster? I can tell you exactly why. Show me the money. That's exactly it. They just want that money. And they got a couple years at it. Yeah, well, you got... When you got a guy who's going to make maybe $200 million in right, you have Nimmo in center, right? And then yeah. you got Dom Smith who's going to have to play left. And uh, <laughs> I don't think there was ever going to be a way this guy was going to play outfield. <laughs> now, now we've got the, the Met, Met news out of the way. Let's start with the Mets, the Met offseason. Talk about the top of the show. Will, you and I are on a private group chat with our friend Martino Puccio, and there is a potential podcast that we're still hashing out if it's actually going to happen or not. But the Met offseason, I think – we have to agree here. The best move of the offseason by far was the Lindor trade. Yeah, eh, kind of an easy uh, easy one there, right? Yeah, very good. And I know today uh, Martino and I were kind of uh, wishing we saw some more and so on. But, I mean, I get where it's tough. But, yeah, the best move is definitely definitely Frankie and Carrasco. Just those two in the package trade. Like, those are the, those are the two best moves in my opinion. And, uh, you, I mean, God, anytime you get a top five to ten – player baseball you're definitely doing something right <laughs> yeah Anthony when you saw that trade happen what was your reaction uh jealous and also you know good for the Mets like I said I 
I'm a diehard Yankee fan, but like I said, I love the sport of baseball as a whole. So, you know, it's always good to see, uh, even though they are cross-town rivals, like to see uh, nice and co- nice and competitive. You know, I want to see the Mets succeed, even though they're, uh, they're not my number one choice, as we all know, as you can see the hat that I'm wearing. But I thought it was good for baseball, good for Lindor, and then just overall good for the Mets. They're kind of been, you know, I guess the laughing stock of New York, especially for the past couple of years. But now they're definitely going to be uh, up and coming. Yeah, I think for sure. I think the thing that's also interesting is we'll talk about the other breaking news that Francis that uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. signs this fourteen-year, three hundred forty million dollars contract. The price tag to keep Lindor just went up quite a bit. Yeah, but like even in my, I don't know, you know, I do. I think too obviously, like that's usually the fallout. But that deal is so unique. And if I'm being completely honest, like not to go off a tangent on there because I know that's not what we're going to talk about a lot, but that's not that like. I would, if I'm the Padres, I made out well there. If he's a player you think he is, you're paying him. I think they said the highest the AAV gets is like 36 at one point, but you're going to give him that in his best years. Like we always thought Lindor was going to be around what a 280, $300 million guy for yep. tennis. Right. And then the numbers they're thrown out, like it was, it was something like that. But in my honest opinion, like maybe it went up a little bit, but I don't, I, I personally think that that deal that Tatis signed with the Padres is for, for the Padres is like really good. I mean, my gosh, if I'm getting a top, literally a top five to 10 player at age 23 for 14 years for at most 36 a year, around 25 a year, sign me up. And if that's what the Mets, I don't think Lindor touches that above 30 in my opinion, but he's going to get around there and Hey, that's what you got to pay again. Lindor is what 26, 27 going to be playing shortstop hopefully for the next 10 years. Yeah, I think for sure that's a move's going to happen. And this is not Andy Martino saying the Mets don't have to sign Francisco Lindor after they make that trade. They're letting him go to free agency, and it's not happening. They're going to pay him. You do not make that trade to let him walk for the draft pick. You make that trade to make the move and sign the contract. It's going to happen. And, Anthony, that would unreal be the worst move the Mets could make if they made that deal and didn't sign him. But as of right now, as the outside observer, what do you think the worst move of the offseason of the Mets was? I'll jump in. By the way, 1-1 one, one Rangers, fellas. We're cooking. <laughs> I figured when I saw the fist bump. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I think I'll phrase it this way to you, Mike. The one – I don't think there was, like, a worse move, right? I think it was, like, a lack of a move, right, if that's fair. And I think it was Springer. I, I do. I go back to this. I know you and I are diff- see different – a little bit different on this and Martino as well when we talk in the group chat. I just – I know the dollar amount was a lot at the end of the day and there's a lot more they have to do. I completely understand that. It is, in my opinion, the like the worst move they made is a move they didn't make. And I thought George Springer would be that guy. And um, I like Chris Bryant. I only love to see Chris Bryant, but again, it, you, I only, the only reason I'm bringing Chris Bryant up is because you just brought up how the only reason they traded for Lindor was to sign Lindor. I don't know if that's the case with Chris Bryant. So do you rent him for a year? Yada, yada, yada. So in my opinion, the worst move is a non-move at George Springer. Yeah, for me, I want to push back on that because I do think that, like, gang, you and I disagree on this. I feel like George Springer is not the worst thing in the world. They didn't sign him because, you know, they're going to have to give Francisco Lindor a massive contract. They to give Michael Conforto a big contract. They to pay pitching at some point. And George, money, definitely, yeah. George Springer, that's a big contract, and that's a slot that you can't give someone else. If you're keeping George Springer, I mean, you don't keep Michael Conforto because you can't give everyone these huge contracts and be, be able to just move on your feet. It's not an opportunity to present themselves. My issue is more that there were opportunities for sort of depth pieces that were bypassed. And I don't think they should have been bypassed. Like James Thanks. Paxton, one year, $8.5 million. I think you have to be able to go top that to get that guy in your rotation. 
Maybe you go pay Trevor Rosenthal for one year. I know it's a lot of money, but you know what? This is an opportunity here. Not matching Brad Handel. That is out of their control. I think the lack of the debt moves. I think just not finishing it off. And there still could be some. As of right now, as of recording, they're still possibly in the Taiwan Walker, Jake Odorizzi aisle, the starting pitching market. But it just feels incomplete. And I think a big part of the incompleteness, Anthony, is the Trevor Bauer thing, where the Mets and the Dodgers are going head-to-head for him. Feels like at the end of the day, the, Do- the Mets got used, so you get the more money out of the Dodgers. How do you think about that situation? you think the Mets dodged a bullet here not getting Bauer? No, I mean, he's the reigning NL Cy Young. I mean, <laughs> there's a reason. I think, you know, he was definitely one of the hottest, if not the the, the hottest free agent, especially pitching-wise, the best free agent. And he's just going to be a guy, you know, slot in with DeGrom and throw him into that rotation. He's going to immediately change it. So, I mean, with the Dodgers signing him, they're up there in my, uh, you know, up there in the upper echelon of the best moves in the offseason being that they just come they're coming off a world series title and you hear a majority of world series reigning world series champions they end up regressing losing a lot of guys but the Dodgers just got better yeah they did will what do you think about you and i talked off air about the bauer stuff let's bring it on air well i just like what what what, uh what sorbs just said the dodgers just got better oh my god they just won the world (laughs) series they just traded for mookie Betts last year like they're just that trade or that signing just phenomenal. And I, in that group chat, I was you, I'm like, there's no way the Dodgers can give him that money. I was like, there's just no way and they did it. Yep. <laughs> so I, I had a little, I had a major issue with what, how it transpired. Like, I know he came out and apologized and like his agent, like tried to like make amends with Mets fans. But I first, I just have like two points on that. One, it's New York. Like, that's just never going to be the – you have to know once you kind of make your bed with uh, fans from New York in that sense, it's never – you can't just you're, be like – You're done. Hey, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Ask Chase Utley, right? <laughs> but um, I uh, I just thought it was like, dude, just tell us where you sign and, and get, it, get it over with, you know? Like, come on. Cliff Lee, CeCe Sabathia, Garrett Cole, much better pitchers in free agency that have signed mega deals have just done it way better. And uh, hey, good luck to him. And if he re- if he turns out to be the pitcher that he's been for the most of his career, I guess, you know, not the best signing, but then again, he just won Cy Young. So the Dodgers are rolling with it. So good luck to him. Yeah, and I think the Mets, you you and I have discussed this off the air too. The Seth Lugo injury right now is such a huge deal because he got surgery right before camp. He's going to be out probably through May because he's going to have to ramp up once he gets the go-ahead about a month to start throwing. And that bullpen, they did not do much to it. They had Trevor May, and the whole thing was Lugo's going back, and the bullpen's going to be better with Lugo being a, a, a two-inning stopgap guy. And with him not there, that's going to be a rough first month for them without him, especially with the starters building up. Yeah, I think I said in the group chat how, um, like, Trevor May right now isn't necessarily a net gain, right? He's kind of a... Net neutral. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's like, it's great that we got him. And I, I actually think he's going to do really well. He's like a really, I think a very under the, the radar pitcher, but yeah, it's just now he was kind of like one of your headlining guys to add to the bullpen where now he's just stabilizing it. And like you said, Lugo's like, he's had, um, he had the elbow issue years ago, right? Didn't yeah. he have a, he's a, he's, he's pitching the partial UCL tear. He hasn't really gotten repaired. Right. Yeah. Like Tanaka was, I think. Yep. And so, you know, that's always scary. So I, he comes back in, you know, we say May, it could be longer. And it's just one of those things where, yeah, Rosenthal was out there. And I'm actually not a huge Rosenthal guy. Like, I know he had, like, a really good year last year. And 
kind of see where they didn't want to do that. But at the same time for a year, you know, you need the help. Why not just, you know, maybe try to get it done. And I mean, the reliever trade market, I don't know what, if that's even existing, you know, you're going to pay more for relievers these days and you pay for, you know, perennial MVP outfielders like Christian Yelich, but yeah, I, uh, <laughs> or John Carlson, but yeah, I, um, I, I'm a little worried about the bullpen just because I don't really like, there's so many question marks. Like is Familia going to bounce back? Who knows? Edwin Diaz. Can you build off last year? Who knows? Uh, not getting Justin Wilson kind of was a little iffy to me. Cause now the lefties feel a little weird in the bullpen. Um, so I don't know. Like, I don't, I, there's just a lot of, a lot of one way or the other in that bullpen right now. Yeah, as far as Carl Rosal, Anthony, remember you and I went to a Met National game a couple of years ago when he could not throw a strike in the eighth inning and the Mets just chased him out of the game after that. I'm okay not giving $11 million after watching that performance and seeing a 60-game shortened version of Rosenthal. I agree. Yeah, I think last year was just kind of an anomaly. He's kind of been teeter-tottering his entire career other than that, you know, spurts of one or two good years. He has, and let's go around the horn here. Let's go to the off-season grade for the Mets. Will, I'm curious where you landed with them. I, I, so it's like I, I I always am optimistic, but here, I, like, yeah, I, I'm saying that I wish I kind of saw more. I'm still going to give them like a B plus because my thing is, is I think the reason some Mets fans are a little upset is because like we set the bar up here, right? Or, or Sandy set the bar up here, and like they came in around here. I mean, you still added Francisco Lindor, which is – that is huge. You got Carrasco. You brought back Stroman, right? You're, so, like, hypothetically, let's say Taiwan Walker signs or Jake Odorizzi signs. Your, your rotation is pretty stabilized in that standpoint. Trevor May is a good ad. Brian, uh, Brian McCann. James McCann is <laughs> – well, if, if they sign Brian McCann, it would be a little different. But, yeah, James McCann is a very good catcher. My thing is, I wish you signed in center field, but you got depth options in center field. I wish you kind of went out and got another big arm. Didn't work. A lot of my gripes are just like luxuries. Like, oh, I'm so upset we didn't get George Springer, but we still have good players. So I'm not trying to be too optimistic when I say a B plus, but like, I can't see it sitting here and be like, oh, it's a C. They only added Francisco Lindor. Come yeah. on. What I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. And for the outside perspective, what's the Met grade to you for the offseason? I was um, in the same exact boat as you, Will. You know, Lendor was such a huge ad. And I'm trying to think of, you know, not the stuff that they missed out because I definitely think they should have, you know, gone after uh, Bauer and everything. But you can't dismiss them for what, for what they've done and just just building off of everything they've had last year and years before. Yeah, just, can I sh- just jump in for one thing, too. They were in on all of them. Hand went elsewhere because he wanted to close, as Mike said, like right when that signing occurred. Mm-hmm. Springer, okay, you made an offer, too much money, whatever. Bauer, you you offered more, right? And he went somewhere else. People have to look at it. They can't look at it as a miss. They went elsewhere. You're in, in the fact that the Mets are in on those guys now, that's huge. So Yeah, which is so different compared to the years past where they just be like, oh, okay, there's, there goes a big name guy. 100%. So not even looking at it as like a half or a glass half full guy, like that's literally what it is. So I give it a B. I mean, I – Yes, you got Lindor, and you were in on literally everybody. You had offers for a lot of players and a lot of high offers. So that's <laughs> it. Yeah, I think it's I think it was a good offseason. Yeah, I think in terms of the offer thing, I will point out in the past the Mets to say, "Oh, we're going to check in on this guy." They probably call him like, "Oh, you want actual money? No, we can't afford you." So <laughs> hang up the phone. We'll go somewhere. You go somewhere else. But I'm a little higher than you. I'm giving them the A minus because they didn't really finish the land the plane as much. But 
One thing that does not go reported enough is that this is an organization that they said, we have to make the 40 better. We have to have good depth options on the 40 because, Will, you know very well in the past when we had, a, when a guy goes down with an injury and they're bringing up random AAA career outfielder X that to start him for a week and he's hitting sixth in the lineup. Now they're bringing in actual big league guys who have depth and experience to this guy. Look at the options they have in the bullpen. Albert Amora is going to be a triple A out center fielder right now. Like two years ago, he's probably starting a center from the Mets. So they're yep. riding the roster out. It's a deeper group. I do think Sandy has an issue where he is a little too attached to his price point to some of these guys. And as I read today, a great quote from a executive for the, Dod- for the Dodgers, I think a source said, it's like, hey, if you're going to value every free agent, you're going to finish third for them all, all the time. You're never going to win one. So there are you know, points where Sandy has to lose the budget aspect a bit, but a minus the team's a lot better than it was last year. They are going to be right in the mix of the division. They will at least make the playoffs, even a five team field. So that's the Mets in my opinion. Yeah, I like the rotation depth too, as you brought when you were saying. I like uh, Luke Lucchesi, or I think that's how you say it. Yeah, Joey Lucchesi's in there. Jared Eikhoff is in there. They have other guys in the mix. The dude from the Marlins, uh, yeah. what's Jordan what's Yamamoto. Yep. So hey. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, and where last year they were pulling Ariel Gerardo off the scrap heap and they were starting Corey Oswald and they were finding random guys off the street. This is an upgrade. No offense to Walker Lockett. Seriously, no offense. I, I hope if he ever hears this, he doesn't take it the wrong way, but oh. <laughs> night and day difference when you got your, yeah. your like seventh starter as Lucchesi and then compared to like your fifth swing starter as Walker Lockett. I, I mean, it is. Those are the, that's the stuff fans are going to notice right away that they're not thinking about right now, like you just said. Yeah, let's go to the other side of town. Let's go to the Yankees for a minute, Anthony. And we went for them second because they were much, much quieter. Yeah, I mean, I'm disappointed to say the least. You know, I would have loved to see Trevor Bauer, but I think I, I remember saying it towards uh, our last show together was I didn't think he fit the uh, the Yankee way. It's a little bit too uh, too yeah. out there in terms of celebration. So I, not only celebration, but just attitude, you know, from – throwing a ball out in center field, everything like that, when he was with Cleveland and all that. But, uh, you know, they didn't even really replace Tanaka, let Paxson walk. I'm not really upset with letting Paxson go. I just don't think he was cut out for, for pinstripes. You know, you always talk about guys coming over and they just they just can't handle New York. I think that was a simple, simple case with him. But I know I've been preaching ever since we've been doing this show together. It's you still got to keep adding pitching. That's all it is. And, Guy Garrett Cole now got him last year and still nothing really to, to go with him after losing Tanaka, who's been such a reliable, you know, reliable third or, or fourth uh, rotation day guy. All right. Well, I'll go. I agree with that. I think it's a good general assessment. What do you think was the best move they made? Was it the DJ contract? Oh, without a doubt. If the, there was a matter of fact where I actually thought they were going to let him walk. And if they did, I honestly would have just freaked out. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I'm not normally one to freak out when it comes to, you know, the Yankees not going after guys or getting guys, but you can, he has been, he's hands down your best player, hands down since he's been on the team. Yeah. And creative use of the contract length to get the, get around the AAV for the luxury tax. I know you don't want to pay me 38, but it does savings do help you stay under the tax of this year, which is apparently consideration for them. Yeah. I mean, they're always uh, Brian Cashman. I remember him, saying, I think it was, what, two, maybe three years ago, saying, hey, we want to just drastically cut down on the luxury tax after, I think it was like five plus years of constantly going over it. Yeah. So so now they're all about, the Yankees are all about, you know, the budget now as opposed to just spend, spend, spend. Yeah. Will, what do you think the best move they made this offseason was? 
I mean, the easy one is definitely DJ, but I thought uh, the Jamison Tyone trade, I think it's a great, great move. I know he's coming back off injury and he's had health concerns in the past, but like when he had, this is a guy who I think was like a former, if not a number one, like a early first round pick, I believe. And yeah, yeah he was right. And he's pitched really well at times when he's paid and, you know, um, I'll give you the worst move right now too, just to get out of the way. Cause they're sort of said it just not bringing back Tanaka baffled me. I just, I don't, I don't know why you, they didn't do it. Just, I, I, I get being under the tax and stuff, but Tanaka was, and you actually, Mike, you said it like way early, maybe in quarantine when we were talking about baseball and you were like, they, they just, the, the Yankee, some fans just don't value Tanaka like they should. And I just feel like the, I don't like this something about it just felt weird that they just let him go. And um, I thought that was a bad move, not bringing him back, but maybe you replace it with a Tyone because Tyone is younger, has more upside. And um, that's my best move though. I gave you the best and the worst in one. Yeah, I think I I think they did thread the needle nice at the Tyone trade where they're trying to find a starter, trying to find out upside and get a low AAV value for the luxury tax. And they get really nothing for the pirates to get him. So good job yeah. there. But the Tanaka thing does boggle my mind, Anthony, because it's, as I said this many times, he gives you innings. He gives you a mm-hmm. solid, like, like high threes, low fours ERA. He'll give you a lot of starts. He's a good postseason pitcher. And they just do not value that. I feel like the past couple of years, they've been so quick to try and just bury him in the rotation. I mean, back in 19, the playoffs, they were bringing Severino back with the opener, and they were going to start him after three games just to, you know, get the – avoid having Tanaka pitch in the, early in the series. That just made no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, just echoing off of what Will said is, you know, I think the Yankees to some degree, but especially fans just didn't value Tanaka, what he could do day in and day out every time he would get the ball to go start. But also, you know, I'm curious, too, because being that he did go back to Japan, I'm wondering if he, you know, had it set in his mind that once his contract was over, that he was going to go back to Japan no matter what. So the Yankees could have offered an absurd amount of money and he still probably would have said no and went back to Japan. So we don't know entirely what the Yankees, you know, train of thought was on that. But again, if I'm Cashman, if I'm the rest of that front office, I'm doing everything I can to try to keep him. Yeah, the thing that would terrify me as a Yankee fan is the way the rotation is set up right now. Obviously, you have the ace. You have Garrett Cole. He's phenomenal. But beyond that, it's paper thing because everything has to go right for this to be a very good rotation. I know the East sucks, and Tampa gave away two starters in the offseason, so they're going to come back to the pack a little bit. But Corey Kluber has made like set eight starts in two years. He was bad for most of the first one before he got hurt. That should made one start. Tyone hasn't pitched in two years. Luis Severino is coming off a to- coming off a Tommy John. We don't know when he's going to be back. Domingo Herman's coming off domestic violence suspension. You don't know when he's coming back. You have a whole bunch of young guys with Davey Garcia, Clark Schmidt, Michael King, Jordan Montgomery was probably the second most dependable guy in that group right now. His ERA is over five last year. So, ask a Met fan last year. Will knows the 2020 Met rotation. Had a lot of like, paper, like paper clips, rubber bands, and duct tape, and that thing fell apart pretty fast. So that's something I'd be concerned about. If that was you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know I, I touched on it before. Is this they didn't get anybody when they lost Tanaka? They didn't go after and get anybody really. They, you bring in Corey Kluber, but he hasn't been, you know, the Corey Kluber of of, of past in at least three years. So I don't really know what you're trying to just you know put a cork in a in a boat that's rapidly sinking. Yeah, well, I I feel like are you having the bad twenty twenty Met flashbacks the way that rotation's built? Yeah, I'm just thinking about Rick Parcello, man. Just oh my gosh, but uh, I um, it's like the that rotation though. Like, I guess if you're just like a betting guy, gambler, uh, hey, okay, it's either gonna be really freaking good or it's gonna be like horrible. Bad. Yeah, 
because, okay, like you went through it all. Okay, Severino, maybe he comes back and he is phenomenal again. Corey Kluber, maybe he finds a little bit of that form. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that Corey Kluber is going to be the guy who won Cy Young. It's just ridiculous. It's a, the guy pitches to a 3-6, you should be happier. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just ah, – I don't know. Like, it's just – unless you're going to get something in the season, which doesn't feel like it's going to happen. Like, I don't know. Uh, Devi Garcia, I, I, in my opinion – the way they like went about him was bizarre. Like just let the guy go out there and pitch, you know? And um, I thought he pitched well, but uh, yeah, it's, I I really don't know how to gauge the Yankees. I just don't, I, we're not accustomed to this kind of being the off season. Right. And like all things considered, it's, it's a, it's a well-planned med off season to be honest with you. I mean, like, in a way, but they still, like, spent money and made savvy moves. Like, Tyone is great. Like, Kluber for what was it, 11? Like, that's, like, a big substantial enough contract for a year. But I just, like, I don't know. I I just – I really don't know how to gauge the Yankees. I I really don't because it just feels like – it kind of feels like they don't really know their identity right now. Yeah, I think they're just trying to rely too heavily on, you know, the big names that they have for the offense as opposed to building a well-formed just overall team. Well, they're kind of relying on, you know, Judge Stanton if he's ever healthy. Well, as I was about to say, like, unfortunately for them, they just kind of, like, tied their boat to him and they went out and got their white whale and Garrett Cole, which, like, they had to do and they paid him a ton to do it and he's damn good. But it is, like, the more I think about it, that Stanton deal, just it's, it's just – it really is just like immobilizing them in a way. <laughs> yeah, I think the problem here as well is sort of like you look at this, they're like, okay, we want to let the kids take those spots. We want to have a cheap young rotation with Davey Garcia, Michael King, Clark Schmidt. We can't trust them to do it yet. So here comes Corey Kluber. Here comes Tyone. Here's Jordan Montgomery just eating a slot. So we want to be cheap and young and have that so we can pay our offensive guys down the line. But I don't think it's going to work. I think they're going to have issues when they get to the postseason. I think in terms of my grade for the offseason, I think it's a B- minus on the strength of the DJ re-signing, which is a very good contract for them, even though you have to pay until he's 38. But the rest of that deal, the rest of the offseason, overpaying Kluber made no sense to me because just you want a guy in there with to give you innings here and give you an opportunity to sort of be the stabilizer in the second spot. Kluber has massive upside. But the downside is dramatic because if he's not who he is, your whole rotation falls apart because you're waiting on Severino a while. The bullpen didn't do much either. I mean, Darren O'Day's a nifty little move, but, I mean, they could have used a big-time guy back there after they basically salary-dumped Adam Adovino just to get rid of his contract. So I think B-minus. Mm-hmm. What about you, Anthony? What's your grade? I'm actually going to go with a C-minus. I just I don't like it at all. I don't like it at all. You know, bringing bringing DJ back was huge, but you lose a big a big arm, you know, in Tanaka, and just again, just the lack of just the lack of moves. You don't even try to try to fill the slot with with losing Tanaka. You don't try to, you know, I don't even think there was talks or rumors of them even attempting to go after Bauer. Well, Bauer's, and, di- Bauer's different price point also, and, and Bauer has feuded with Garrett Cole in the past. That's not a dynamic you want to bring in your locker room. Yeah, but still, I mean, at that point, if you want to win World Series, you kind of got to suck it up. But I get, I get that too. There's all you know, all forms of semantics and everything. But there's plenty of moves they could have made, and they just dubbed, they, they didn't do it in free agent. You know, the Yankees are known for spending. You know, you look at the uh, off season of 2008 heading into 2009 when they were in the World Series, and 
look who they brought in then, you know, you bring in AJ Burnett, CC Sabathia, and then Teixeira, you know, those, those three guys and they get a world and you get a world series out of it. And they have nothing really to show for it this year other than bringing back DJ LeMayu. Okay. So I'm going to be mice. And if you see mice, will you going to be in the middle of us? Or are you going in the, one of our directions? No, I was going to go right with like that B minus range, but Eric, B. my thing is though, like, I, I just kind of feel like I, I, I it's like just, hard to grade them. Yeah. I think it's just, we're not used to it. That's just not what we're used to at the Yankees. So like, I, I kind of feel like a lot of the uncertainty we have is somewhat warranted because there is some like margin for error, but also some of the uncertainty is like, well, that's weird. The Yankees usually just like are active. So I, I, I kind of like, I don't know, you know, it's like a <laughs> an answer, but you just don't know. Cause okay. Maybe it is like, I mean, that roster. Okay. You do have judge. You do have good players already on there. You got to, like maybe they just think, all right, this is what we got, and we're trying to cut. We don't want to go over that tax, so we feel strongly about it. So, I mean, you know, like, I think that's what it is. I think we're just used to a different Yankees approach than this offseason. Yeah, I think we do. Let's go around the league real quick. We'll each pick a team here. So, Anthony, go to you first. Like, apart from the locals here, which team impressed you the most this offseason? You know, I teeter-totter. I don't want to say the Dodgers because I feel like that's the easy answer, but I feel like it's kind of going under the radar. But I'm going to go with the Cardinals, you know, grabbing uh, – uh, why am I blanking on his name? I know who it is. I just can't think of the name. They stole Nolan Arenado. Arenado. Yep. There we go. <laughs> grabbing Nolan Arenado is a huge thing after adding Goldschmidt. And, you know, the year before that, they're uh, – also Yachty's coming back for another year, and it's just going to be – they're going to be – Seems like they're always there, but just, just people just seem to forget about them. Yeah, and the Cards literally might have won the Central by doing something when everyone else did nothing. That's basically the story of their offseason. They did a big something. Yeah, I mean, you go out there and you grab top two, probably the top third, third baseman in the whole league. For nothing. Without and, a doubt. And you got paid. You got paid a lot of his to take him off the Rockies' hand. It was even dumber by Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Will, how about you? Who is your top offseason team? Oh, uh, the Pittsburgh. No, the uh, the Padres. Come on. Yeah. Like, that's like, I love what they did. Just, you think you got it? You think you can go for it? Go for it, baby. Go. You, Darvish, bring him in. Blake Snell, bring him in. Keep Tatis around. I mean, just phenomenal offseason. And, and I, what I love about it is, like, they made the playoffs last year. They saw how they kind of stacked up against the Dodgers. So they said, you know, screw it. We want to be better than the Dodgers. We're going to be aggressive in doing so. And I love that. I love seeing that. We don't see it enough in sports today. Just teams like throwing everything at it. Let's just go make a run at this thing. Yeah, the Padres killed this offseason. The Tatis extension is also very nice. I'm going to also go for the sake of being different. I'll go to Toronto because Toronto, I think, had a very good offseason. They made some early pitching moves. And getting George Springer for them was huge because they are a very young team. They need a center fielder. They have to pay more, obviously, to the Canada tax and to get people up there. But adding a guy like that to that team, to be the leader, to be a guy who can help this team become winners, I love that move. And Toronto was act in on everybody. They landed a big fish. Blue Jays are all my big offseason winners. I like it. Get a good get a good veteran in there, you know, a guy who can do a lot. And that that's a roster that's either like, – give him, like, uh, you know, uh, give him a year. That's going to be scary. Well, you know, unfortunately for you. It's going to be scary. (laughs) They're coming. They're coming fast. Oh, yeah. If it's not this year, it's definitely probably the year after. 
<laughs> All right, let's go to the other. Let's go to the worst team on the offseason. Who really let you down, Anthony? I mean, personally, I want to say the Yankees, but you know, I'm not going to take the easy <laughs> cop out. But uh, you know, I'll, I'll go. Uh, I'll go with teeter totter just a little bit. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say not for who they didn't sign or for who they let go, but I'm just gonna say the Boston Red Sox just because bringing back Alex Cora as a manager. I don't like that at all. I don't think it's a good thing for baseball. I don't think it's – I just don't – I don't. it doesn't sit right with me. I don't know. Plus, the offseason, they did not do much. After they made a big deal of how they wanted to let Mookie Betts go to get out of the tax, they really – they had so many pitching problems. And who would they sign? Like, who was their big pitching move? Exactly. There was no big move. Their big move in the offseason was re-signing Alex Cora after, you know, uh, firing him for a year while he was, while he was uh, suspended. All right, Will, worst team in the offseason. Who disappointed you the most? I, I there's a few, but I mean Cleveland. I, well, I listen. They gave they gave us the guy. So, but um, <laughs> Colorado though, it's just like I don't know. You just threw a guy away, and then you're gonna probably let a shortstop walk in the offseason. Trevor Story. I just I think that, but um, I'm gonna say the Rockies. I have a few others to mention, but I'm sure you might mention one of them. Yeah, the Rockies thing, the thing that bothers me the most about that one, they were high on my list, is like, you have done nothing with Nolan Arenado for several years now. You knew he's going to opt out. You had some leverage here because he had to extend his opt-out there to with the Cardinals, make sure he could stay. They did not get one of the Cardinals' top 10 prospects. They gave the Cardinals $50 million to take him off their hands and got nothing back. That's like the reverse Brody trade where, uh, with the Mets, where they gave they got no prospects and they took all the money. It makes no sense. No, it's bad for baseball. I just, I don't know. You did. You had him there. You you had him literally one of the best players in baseball, and you did. It's just, I don't know. How do you like? How do you? How does that? How do you let that happen, man? Just yeah. ugh, for nothing, we'll give you money. You don't have to give us anything. There's the top. <laughs> you know, take the best third baseman in baseball. Yeah, so like, we can't use him. You do, you do something with him. <laughs> yeah. Oy. I think for me, there's a bunch. I can, I can just hammer the bottom of the league. The guys who are, again, just doing nothing, like the Pirates, who are basically anybody with a salary is getting thrown overboard just, just to get like, like lesser paid prospects on in the building. I'm also going to ding the Cubs very, very hard here because this is one who I just, you know, this team just won the division. This core won the World Series five years ago. We are dumping you, Darvish, to get rid of his salary. We are talking about shopping Chris Bryant. We let we cut Kyle Schwarber to save money. We did not do much of anything in the offseason. What are we doing here, guys? I know, and yeah, the they cu- got Jack Peterson. <laughs> Whoopee. I'm going to throw up, I'm gonna have a parade down uh, Wrigleyville after this. <laughs> I mean, you look at this roster. This team has, still has a lot of talent on it. I know all the contracts coming up. You got to spend the money here to keep that core together because this team can win. They just won a division title in the offseason. They made the playoffs many years with this group. And they're throwing it all away because the owner doesn't want to lose more money, which is, to me, the problem with the sport these days. It's just so bizarre. Isn't it weird? Like, when they were coming up, you're like, wow, this is this is the team, right? The Cubs, like, they've only paid one of those guys, Rizzo. Like, yeah. I mean, they want to get rid of Wilson Contreras. They want to like ship out Bryant. Uh, Bryant, obviously. I like, who Javi Baez is a free agent this offseason, I believe. Um, yeah. Just really 
shocking. I mean, I thought the Cubs were about to be when like, like they were the next dynasty, like, you know, under Theo, they're going to win like, you know, four and six years or something. And this has not been the case. And yeah, they just seem to be selling everything off that they can. And it's just, I mean, I get it. Like you're trying to make save money in this unprecedented time, but it's just crazy to think in a year, this team might not have Chris Bryant or Javi Baez on it. I also want to give a, a demerit to the Baltimore Orioles. I don't know if you guys saw the baseball proje- prospectus projected standings and percentages of playoff chance to make the playoffs. They gave the Baltimore Orioles before camp opens a 0.0% chance of making the postseason. Come on. They basically said the Orioles do not show up. Do not even bother playing these games. You have no chance to go in the playoffs. They said the Orioles are worse than math. Like yes. how mathematically they can make the playoffs, but they said they cannot. They even gave the Pirates a 0.4% chance. The Orioles got a 0.0 on the scale from the baseball perspectives. Matt Harvey and Felix Hernandez now, so maybe uh, in 2013 that'd be a great rotation. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's just this is just the problem with this game, and you could basically just point to like 10 teams, say they have no shot this year, they are not going anywhere, and you can basically throw half the, a third of the sport out. That's what the problem with baseball is right now. I think, yeah, not to go in a rabbit hole, I think in most sports it really is. Yeah, you have the bottom half that says, okay, we're just going to go for a draft pick and save money. Then you have, like, the top, what, five or six teams that are trying to go for it, and then kind of like, yeah, it's either one extreme or another. The tanking culture, I think, has ruined sports. And I'll put it this way. Like, I've talked about legal guy, Phil Fry, Phil Fry, next, and he brings his point up, brought his point up a couple of times in the podcast. Very great point. Like, Trevor Bauer this offseason. How many teams in the league would not be better with Trevor Bauer in the rotation? None. Every and, team, yeah. And yeah. how many teams were actually in the mix for him at the end? Two. Two, yep. That's a problem. It is. I mean, that's just how every free – it's just unfortunately, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, this should like, Trevor, when Tom Brady was a free agent last year, I'm sure half the league that had Capron was calling to make a pitch to him to come down and help their team. Absolutely. And the one of the best, when the guy who won the Cy Young and has had good years in two of the last three years hits the market, only two teams? That makes no sense. Yeah, same with Springer, everything. Yeah, it's yeah. wild. It's just, it's got to figure it out because that is, it's bad. It's yeah. just not, you're almost like, it feels like you're punishing them for being good in a way at some point where it's like, okay, like what if Bauer is like, well, I don't want to go to either team, but yeah. they're the only ones who want to pay me. So, yeah. Yeah, let's also go quick. Quickly around the horn here. We'll do wrap up here with the best move of the offseason, worst move. So, Anthony, best move of the offseason is? Cardinals. Arenado. Yep, Arenado. Will, best move of the offseason is? Frankie Lindor. Come on. <laughs> yeah, Let's that's, go. I'm going to I, – I like both those moves. I will go with the Blake Snell trade for the Padres. That was a big game-changing trade. Like that and the Darvish double down. Don't take him out when he's cruising in the World Series. Yeah, well, he's not got that problem now. Kevin Cash and the stat nerds aren't running his team over there. <laughs> All right. Worst move, Anthony, of the offseason was? I'm going to go with the Rays with losing Blake Snow. Well, I, that that's, is a, a, that's a major hit it's to a team that was just in the World Series last year. Yeah, and I'll be fair with Tampa. I do give them the benefit of the doubt long term because they seem to have an idea what they're doing, but this year it hurts. Yeah. Will, worst move is? I'm going to say it because I want to be controversial. I think Trevor Bauer is going to be – I think it's going to backfire mightily out there. I just don't 
You're paying him $40 million. I just, I, God, good luck. It's almost unfair that he has to like even live up to Like if he's like a mid rotation guy, that's terrible. That's really not good. And you know, he's already getting in fights with the fans. He's getting like heat from the media about his controversial like, Twitter posts. So that's not, that might not go well. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I, 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 it's not even because I'm bitter. Like, oh, the Mets didn't get it. <laughs> like, literally, it's because I we said in that group chat when the dollar amount came out, I was like, what? No way. <laughs> That's a lot of dough, man. So there's like you, you have to live up the expectations when that happens. You're getting bet. You're getting paid more than Degrom, Scherzer, all these guys. So, hey, that could be that could look miserable at the end of the season. I will go back to the obvious here. I know I want to keep dinging the Cubs for just giving away you Darius for a bag of baseballs to get rid of his salary, but the Rockies gave Nolan Arenado to the Cardinals and paid them $50 million to do so and did not get back one of the organization's top 10 prospects in return. They got back four decent prospects, did not get one of the very good ones in the system for the best third base in baseball. That's a major fail by the organization. Yeah, they, they didn't seem like they really cared too much. <laughs> no, they it's almost like it was a relief to get rid of them. Oh, no, it absolutely was. Oh, my gosh. Just... This was literally, like, so reminiscent of the A-Rod trade back in uh, – when did he, when did he leave Tech the A-Rod Tech trade? 05? 04. 04? That was, like, what it felt like. Oh, wow, this is a big contract after all. Maybe we should <laughs> – Maybe we shouldn't have given it to him. Yeah, you know, they're like, okay, who wants him? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll pay you to take him, too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, like, don't stop us before we change our minds. Here, take the money. Yeah, which is the scary part of it, that they paid to get rid of him. Yeah. That's when, the- it, when it comes down to it, isn't, aren't, uh, isn't the deal, like, the Cardinals are paying him, like, 150 for, like, six years or something like that? Like, which That's a bargain. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's absurd. But, for the best, for a platinum glove, silver slugging, MVP candidate, all star <laughs> third baseman in his prime. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. But I think that's a good place to leave. Before we go further off the rails, we'll just let the Rockies look, like twist in the wind a little bit. Well, I thought you guys are hopping on. I'll give you a chance to plug your social media. Anthony, how you follow your social media? Keep on some stuff you're up to. Uh, yeah, like, check me out on Instagram at Sorbellini Photos. Just getting ready for the uh, cross country and MAC basketball championships in a couple of weeks, and just hopefully things are in the works to uh, possibly shoot a Yankee game coming up. So, uh, fingers crossed for that. But yeah, check me out there. Stay tuned. Will, how about you? How you tell us some stuff you're doing? Follow you on social media. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Will Shatter H1, and I'm just right now writing a few things, which is kind of like I'm been reaching out to a lot of people and stuff and focusing on uh trying to secure the next step so truthfully if you follow me right now it's probably not gonna be that active <laughs> uh, give me a follow if you want i'm gonna be pumping some in the next month or two there'll be a few nfl things going up on there you want, you want to get on the ground floor what's that so you want to get on the ground floor yeah 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 exactly i'll remember that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <I'll> remember you. <laughs> yeah you'll be one of the real ones he'll remember when he makes it big <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. All right. Up next, we're going to talk about some of the COVID rules and some more baseball odds and ends with our legal guy, Phil Freyetta, right after this.
right, we are back here getting ready for the baseball season. And there are still COVID considerations to be done, even though the vaccine is starting to roll out very, very slowly around the country. Joining me today, our legal guy, Phil Fred, is here to talk about some of these things. Phil, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? Pretty good. It's nice to see spring training kicking into gear, though there's still snow on the ground here in New York. Yeah, nice to see. Uh, I saw a couple of photos of the Yankees spring training, and that's always a good feeling for me. You know, it feels like the winter's almost over. Yeah, I think for me, the one that got a big grin on my face today was they had a picture from Metcamp of Jacob DeGrom, like, throwing a bullpen session, and Marcus Strong was just on the knee with a big grin on his face watching Jake work. I'm like, I just need this in my veins right now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. The, the only negative with spring training is that it, after a week or two, you're like, all right, just start the season already. Yeah, it's like once you get that first like exhibition game happening, I think the Yankees is February 28th. I don't know when the Mets is for sure, but like once you get through that first game, okay, give me the real thing. Well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm done with this. Yep, every every spring training I watch, you know, maybe the first five games at most, and then I'm all right. Let's let's go. Where's the real game? Yeah, let's start with the real games. And before we get to the COVID stuff, I want to catch up on one thing that was sort of happening around the time we talked last, which was the whole Steve Cohen going off a of Twitter thing, and I, we already know about the Robin Hood thing, but he gets in the big feud with Portnoy like, as a. Lawyer, would you say it was probably a good move for him to get off of Twitter considering the, route, the road he was going down? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Steve Cohen has no need or reason to be on social media, uh, especially now that – not that he wasn't a public figure before, but he's even more of a public figure now that he owns the Mets. So uh, he's got to get off. Um, I can you – know, do you want me to go into what – a little bit about what happened at that scenario. Sure. We, let's, we catch the audience up a minute. All right. Sure. So, uh, it, it, this involves the whole GameStop, Reddit, uh, wall street thing that I'm sure people read about in the news, but essentially, and I'm trying to boil, make this as simple as possible and I'm not a money guy, but, uh, essentially a bunch of guys on Reddit found out that these hedge funds were shorting the GameStop stock and shorting, is a is a term for essentially betting against it. So you bet that the stock is going to go down. Uh, I, I don't really understand the mechanics of it, but essentially you bet that the stock is going to go down, and if you're right, you make a lot of money. So uh, these Reddit guys found out that that was going on, and they said, hey, you know what? Screw that. These guys are keeping the game stock price lower than it should be. We're going to buy. And they all just jumped in and started buying small shares you know, a few thousand dollars here or there, but it adds up. And uh, they did it on this app known as Robinhood, which is a, a, an app that's, you know, marketed for people, hey, you want to invest in the stock market, but you don't have millions of dollars, here's a way to do it. So these people were extremely successful. They drove the GameStop price up, I think it was up 600% at one point. It was a, in like two weeks. It was a inc- incredible. Uh, so... With that, these hedge funds who sorted it obviously lost a lot of money. They were betting that it was going to go down, and it went way, way, way up. So uh, then at one point, Robinhood suspended trading of the GameStop stock. They didn't let people buy it anymore. And Dave Portnoy thought that that was some sort of a conspiracy with Steve Cohen. And Steve Cohen got involved because I guess the hedge fund who really took a bath was his protege who uh, started his own fund. and 
Steve, you know, still has respect for the guy, and apparently Steve Cohen helped bail him out. But uh, Dave Portnoy thought that there was some sort of conspiracy where Robin Hood was suspending trading. Turns out that it sounds like Robin Hood had no choice based on federal SEC regulations. But, you know, the, long story short, Dave Portnoy thought there was a conspiracy, and him and Steve Cohen got at it on Twitter. Steve Cohen saying it wasn't a conspiracy, Dave saying it was. And, uh, you know, just not, I just don't think a good use of Steve Cohen's time to be getting in a Twitter fight with Dave Portnoy. No, especially when it's basically Twitter, as we learned through the impeachment trial, is basically now is on public record. So, like, anything Steve Cohen said could have been used against him later on. So, like, you know, he didn't really do anything wrong here. Like, you don't want to be getting in a, in a dispute with Dave Portnoy where Portnoy's going to ask you pointed questions and you could start diving things you don't want to be diving into. Well, look, I mean, anybody who follows Dave Portnoy, you don't want to get in a fight with Dave Portnoy on the internet ever because he tends to win. But uh, secondly, you know, that is what Dave Portnoy, that's his business, right? His business is to fight people on the internet, cause controversy on the internet. That's not Steve Cohen's business. So <laughs> Steve Cohen, uh, I think, made a good decision getting away from that. But that whole GameStop thing is extremely interesting. Uh, and, I mean, these hedge funds, you know, they took a bath. But uh, we'll see what comes from it. I know that Congress is having a bunch of hearings about it now, talking about potential new regulations uh, because, it's pretty amazing how how these people were able to organize on Reddit and really drive a stock to crazy, crazy heights. Yeah, that's a definitely an interesting problem. Cohen's not involved in directly, but we can get skip ahead to the COVID situation now. We had talks earlier about like, oh, maybe we push the league back, push the month back, and the owners and the players they sort of had a deal on the table where the owners said, okay push the season back a month. We'll play 156 games. I'll pay you for 162 players end up walking on that based on what's been happening the last few weeks. I feel like as a league perspective, I know why it fell through because the CBA issues. I think this was a mistake to let this sort of as when we have issues with COVID and distributing the vaccine and the potential of disruption in spring training is a very big problem. Yeah. Look, I don't think the players union made the right decision on that. I think the league proposal was entirely reasonable. Uh, they were going to get. They were going to pay him for the full 162, and uh, I think it was the right thing to do. But this is what we've been discussing on your podcast for over a year now. There is so much distrust between these two sides, and when you come out with stories, you know, like for instance, Major League Baseball encouraged Maricopa County to say, "Hey, we're a little worried about this." The players' union at some point just says, "You know what? We don't trust these guys anymore." And, and I think that's what happened there. I think it was a simple lack of trust. They, they don't believe that their counterparty is bargaining in good faith anymore. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now it makes these COVID rules they put in even more important. And we've seen from the NFL and the NBA now that the use of these Connexon tracking devices to sort of turn the close contacts, and that really saved the NFL season. The NFL is going down a bad road before they rent to the Connexons with the close contacts to sort of keep it so, okay, we could take the risky players out and then go forward with whoever is still eligible on the roster. And I think now with baseball, I think the big thing we take away from what we've seen so far is that the use of these track devices is going to be the key, keeping this spring training and this season on track and enough players can get vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and look, it shouldn't be that hard if you think about it, right? Because these guys have the capacity to do rapid testing on a 
I mean, they're still doing it on a daily basis in MLB now, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, all right. So you can rapid test on a daily basis. I understand the rapid test is only 80% effective, but 80% is still a pretty damn good percentage when you think about it. So if you couple that with contact tracing, not done by word of mouth, but done by an actual computer. So, you know, if, if a guy tells you, oh, no, I, I didn't leave the hotel, but in reality, he went to a steakhouse, you're going to know because the computer is going to track him. So when you combine those two things, it really should not be that hard to keep the COVID cases out. Now, a lot of listeners will say, well, if it's so easy, then how come we don't just, you know, open up everything? In the and the reason why is that right or wrong, average Joes do not have the money or, or capacity to do that. But Major League Baseball done. So they can do that and they should. I, I think it can work. I think it worked well in the NFL. I think it's it's a, a viable strategy, so long as you have the economic and political resources to do it, which very few people do, but Major League Baseball does. Yeah, I think that's to be the key here because like long because the problem last year we ran into its points was like we had one guy on the team test positive to shut the team down for a few days, see if it spreads. Now like if player X is wearing his contact tracing device around the clubhouse. It says, oh, he's been around these three guys for the recommend, CDC recommended period of their defiance close contact. We can take them out and the rest of the team can play. I think that's how you're going to have to do it in the early going. There might be some occasions where, you know, maybe one day, like, a team is to play three minor league outfielders. That's the way it's got to be until uh, people get vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mike, but, but let's just think about this practically, right? If you go to a restaurant right now, if the restaurant could swab everybody and get a result back in 15 minutes, it'd be very, it'd be a very low risk thing to do. And then, and then if they can also contact trace everybody who comes there to make sure they haven't been in contact with anybody who has COVID before they get there, it would work. But you know, a, a restaurant doesn't have the capacity to do that. Major league baseball does. And I think it's, they could use the technology use the tests, and they can continue to play under those circumstances, I, I believe. Yeah, and they also I brought in some of the stuff from last year's health and safety protocols. Not the stuff we like. The Universal DH is not here, but we have the Expanse Plus is not here either, but we also do have, we have the extra inning rule is back. We have the seven inning double headers back. What do you think about both of those returning to the mix here? I hate the extra inning rule. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, but I think the extra inning rule is here to stay. So I'm going to start with that one. I don't believe them, frankly, that it's a COVID safety thing. I think they like the extra inning rule. I think that the, I, I think both sides like it. I think the league likes it because, hey, uh, we're keeping, teams don't want to, let's, just, let's not kid ourselves. Nobody wants to burn out their bullpen. When you burn out your bullpen in a 15-inning game, it affects you for a week. And from the player side, you know, they don't want to get hurt. And, you know, when, when you ask, when you get in those 15, 16 inning games, inevitably what happens is that you have a guy who normally goes an inning or two at most, and you're asking him to give you three or four. And people get hurt. Uh, or, or even position players. You know, position players are conditioned to play nine innings. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about 15, 16, 17 innings. You're trying to beat out a double play ball. You pull a hammy. So I, I just think that, uh, that's, that's what's going on with the extra inning rule. I think it's really just a wink and a nod that both sides like it, so they're keeping it. 
I, I don't believe them that it's a COVID safety thing. And I think it's here to stay. As far as the seven inning double headers, uh, I like them. I, I got to admit, I do. I like them. Seven, it's a little weird with the seven innings, but I think all in all, it gives you an opportunity to watch two baseball games and it, it doesn't feel like it's forever. Yeah, double headers, uh, and, and I've been to one. I'm, I'm one of the guys who did that. I went to, you may remember, but a few years ago, the Yankees played a old-fashioned classic doubleheader against the Blue Jays. And I went. Went to both games. sat through both games. It, it's long. It's, it's really long. But two seven-inning games, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way we're programmed. doesn't feel that long. So I like it. I'm not sure if that one's here to stay or not. But I think that fans reported to like it. I think it's different. I feel like the fans who are at the game like it or, or who actually would go to a game do like it better than people who are watching on TV. They're feeling, hey, I'm getting gypped in my experience. I want to see two nine-inning games, which – I personally, somebody who has worked those and independent leagues do use that a lot and the minor leagues do use them. Like, I see the value of it. My issue is this, especially now that we're going to have fans back in a lot of these parks here. And Rick Cerrone of Baseball Diet points out the podcast last year. You cannot, as a team, that I know that these teams like to do the split double headers and get the two gates in there. You cannot do split double headers charge full price for both games. Then I have a major problem with. Yeah, I, I agree with that. that that's, that would not be fair. I mean, look, if, if, let's, well, I don't know why they don't just do it math. Let's just do some math. Yeah. If it was just supposed to be a nine inning game, well, then it's seven out of nine. So r- r- multiply the fraction by the price. That's what the price would be. Yeah, it's basically about, you take about a quarter off about the price. Yeah. And that seems fair to me. I agree with you about that. You can't do it for fans. But I do think from a guy who's watching on TV, it's not bad. It's not bad on a Sunday. You know, have a doubleheader start at, I don't know, 1 o'clock and both games are wrapped up by dinner time. That's nice. Yeah, it is nice. And somebody who's worked them, it's like that. the games move a lot faster. I know it's not traditionalist thing to do. I like that aspect. But my thing is, I don't trust this league. I'm not concerned with some of these teams. We have, again, this is we're recording before a lot of the ticket information has come out. We haven't seen all the prices yet. But it would bother me if, like, you're a team and you're charging full price for a seven-inning game. And that's that's uh, that's the issue I'd have. Lawsuit waiting to happen. Yeah, I feel like they're smart. They would dock, change the price a little bit or just slap them together as one as one gate, especially when you have a limited amount of fans, not to worry about changing everybody out to COVID. Slapping them together for one gate is the best way to do it. I agree with you. Because then I could say, hey, I'm, I'm actually giving you more than nine innings. I'm giving you 14 innings. You should be paying me more. Yeah. Absolutely. So that that's the way to do it. Yeah, I think that is the way to do it. And I think the league also something interesting it said here is like, oh, here are our protocols. Here's some things like how many people you can have at camp. And they announced today we're recording on Thursday the 18th that Triple A season starting pretty much on time. Double A, single A, or delayed a month because we have to wait to get the big leaders at camp for the minor leaders come in. They said that right now we're following basically very similar COVID rules to what we had at the end of last year where you don't leave your hotel room on the road trips unless you get permission to do something from the team. The conditions can be relaxed if appropriate. So how far do you think we're going to have to go before we get a bit of relaxation on the players? Is it like you're getting vaccinated? Is it cases are going down? Sorry, that's all you think is, I know you're not a public health guy, but like logically you think it's more like we have, if COVID improves dramatically, the players will get more freedom. Yeah, I would say yes, but you know, this is a debate that has been going on now for 
the past month or so, uh, and there are some people in the what have derogat uh, have been derogatorily called the forever pandemic group, who who just seem to say, "Yeah, we're, we're this is never going to go away. We have to live like this forever." And then there's people on the other polar side who are, "Let's go. We now that we vaccinated some people, we're good to go." I don't really know where the happy medium is, but I th- I do know what's going to control it. So I think the big key is what does the once we start vaccinating people, a do the cases go down? And knock on wood, so far they have, and that's been consistent across the whole country. But B, can the vaccinated people transmit the virus to unvaccinated people? That's a big key. <clears throat> if we determine that they cannot then we should be able to go a lot faster at getting the entire society, including Major League Baseball, back to, back to normal, so to speak, because you don't have to worry about unvaccinated people. I mean, keep in mind, Mike, that the U.S. population, I think it's about one-third children, and you can't vaccinate children right now. So I understand that children are less likely to have COVID and credit, but that's still a big chunk of the people who we can't vaccinate. And children go to baseball games. So <laughs> we're going to need to see 10 vaccinated people spread the virus. What I've read so far is that in Israel, they have Israel led the world in vaccine efficiency, and they have vaccinated, I believe, over 80% of their elderly population. And their early data is showing that those people are extremely unlikely to spread the virus to somebody else. So that is a great sign. And I think if that holds, it gets you where you want to be. So I I don't know if there's a magic number. I'm sure baseball's epidemiologists do have some magic number where if the positive rate is X, we can relax those restrictions a little bit. But I think that's the case. How fast can we vaccinate people? And once we do vaccinate them or they can they spread the virus and uh, i haven't seen anything from major league baseball whether or not they're going to mandate the players to get it uh i'm not sure if they've made a decision on that yet and i'm sure they i don't uh, think union wouldn't fight it i would think there had to be collectively bargained would it not absolutely yeah but uh but you know that that's a tough issue for a union right because i i don't know what the baseball players union would think but a lot of unions the majority of the members are going to say hell yeah i want my co-workers vaccinated yeah, and it's also so, it also it's different. Again, this is also an issue where it's sort of like you wonder if the makeup of the sport is this because we see in the NBA where a lot of the players are a bit skeptical about getting the vaccine, and because obviously we ha- as a country have not done a good job like at doing a good job promoting medical advances to the African American community. Whereas baseball, it's a lot it's a lot more white white players, and they may be more open to it. Yeah, I, I don't know how that's going to work, but uh, but I think that those are your key. How many players get vaccinated? What are the, does vaccination countries nationwide start reducing cases, and can vaccinated people spread the virus? And if we determine the vaccine, as the early data shows, and uh, I'll stress the word early, but the early data shows that it looks like people cannot or are not transmitting the virus when they're getting vaccinated. So if that holds, then I think baseball will be in a good position to open up. But, you know, that's between Major League Baseball and its epidemiologists who know a lot more about this than I do. But I think that's the case is, is you know, can these vaccinated people spread it? 
Yeah, I think that is the key to everything. And a couple other things to touch on here before we get into more of the baseball-specific stuff is, like, the DH expanded playoffs. Like, right now, we have neither. I mean, it feels like that they're just sort of dancing around each other, the players and the owners, about they all want the expanded DH. The owners are trying to tie it to, we'll trade you this for the expanded playoffs. The players, correctly, as we determined, realize, say, no, this is a bad deal for us because... We're going to end up with the DH eventually, but we're not giving the owners like these extra playoffs. They don't have to compete. So do you think we're going to end up with something where we get either this season, neither one of them? What do you think is more likely? Well, I think you're going to get the expanded DH and not the expanded playoffs. That's my guess. And the only reason I'm saying that is because it makes sense. Uh, you know, I've, I've been said it on your podcast a million times. I'll say it again. I think it is ridiculous that there's not a universal DH. I think it needs to change immediately. Uh, I know the National League, there's still some of those diehards out there. Uh, although I think you're a National League fan, Mike, who's starting to see that the DH isn't so bad. Now, at this point, you got to say, you got to kind of see here, it's coming. I saw that, you could see last year that, like, I mean, as a Mets fan, I've been spoiled because I've had good hitting pitchers for years, but, like, there have been plenty of them who have not hit since high school, and that's not fun to watch. It's a different base. It's just a different game. It's a much different game when you can pitch around an inning because you know how the pitchers on deck. So if I walk this back, no big deal. It, it changes the the dynamic of the game. But regardless, I think we all, like you said, the writing's on the wall. The universal DH is coming. Nobody wants to send their pitchers up to bat anymore. Look at what's happened. To, there's countless examples of pitchers getting hurt when they're batting, and everybody knows it's boring. I'm sorry. It's boring. No, no, I know that the baseball purist is going to tell you, oh, but they bunt and it's a double switch. Let me tell you, Mike, a double switch just means you're changing two people and out of the game at the same time. Who cares? Yeah. You know, who cares? You watch a basketball game and they take out the center and the power forward at the same time. And you're like, oh my God, you made two people came in the game at the same time? No. And football, how many people run on and off the field every single play? Defense switches into nickel. Now they're back in dime. Cornerbacks running all over the place. Nobody cares. So I, I just don't think the double switch is that great anymore. I think it's enough enough. It's time to end the uh, pitcher's batting, and I think it's going to happen. But but the union has been smart because, as we mentioned on our last podcast, the expanded playoffs is a scam. It is a scam for Major League Baseball and these owners to be able to say, hey, all we got to do is win 82, 83, 84 games, and we have a chance to win the World Series, and our fans are going to keep paying us money. So we don't have to go out and sign Trevor Bauer. We can just, you know, go with Joe Snow because it doesn't matter. If we win 83 games, we're going to sell out in September because we're in a quote-unquote pennant race. And then we can get swept by the Dodgers in the first round of the playoffs, but nobody's going to care. And, and that, and the players caught on to that. They realized that's what's going on. So you would counterintuitively think, hey, the players will like expanded playoffs, and then they have a better chance of playing in the playoffs. But they quickly realized that, wait a minute, these guys are going to use expanded playoffs to justify mediocrity. And that we're not going to allow that. So I think that eventually the owners are going to cave and say, fine, we'll give you the DH without the playoffs, and that's where we're going to end up. Yeah, I think that would make some sense, especially because a year where you had pitchers trying to make these big jumps from inning, from pitching like 50 innings, the leader last year I think was 84 innings going up to 200 potentially or 160, 170. 
don't want to take the ad risk of, the, of all the NL guys having to hit or the AL pitchers having to go to NL parks and hit for like the first time in two years. That's a, that's a great point. And yeah, and that is a big risk, not only to the pitch, to the players, it's a big risk to the owners. I mean, let's take a guy like Garrett Cole. How much money Yankees paying him? Imagine he gets hurt. They still got to pay him. So that, that would, that, there's no way that they want to risk that. Same thing with the Mets and DeGrom and the Dodgers and Bauer and so on and so forth. So yeah, I, I think that the owners are going to say, hey, we got to protect our assets. Let's just suck it up and give them the DH. Yeah, and before we go, one the last Kobe point, I want to also take a second on the payroll here. I saw a mind-boggling stat the other day. That apparently now the Dodgers, they get Trevor Bauer. They give him the big contract. They get, they re-sign, re-sign Justin Turner. Payroll is up over $250 million now, which is good for the Dodgers because they're actually spending to try and win. But as of right now, they have spent more money then five teams combined. They have $260 million payroll, while the Pirates, Orioles, Indians, Marlins, and Rays combined to pay their players $202 million. That's a big problem for the sport. We talked about this last time at length, uh, so I'll keep it briefer. But, yeah, it, it's a joke. That's the only word to describe it. It's a joke. And I want to be clear about something because I know that a lot of your listeners are going to think this, and a lot of people – on Twitter, think this. Oh, the Dodgers, they shouldn't, they're greedy. No. We should be applauding the Dodgers. The Dodgers are doing what they should be doing. They're trying to win. They have an owner who is a multi-billionaire and can afford it. And so do all these other teams. The Pirates can afford to buy players. The Orioles can afford to buy players and so on and so forth, but they don't. And it shouldn't be allowed. I really believe baseball needs a salary floor and if, I said this last time, if you have to give them the cap to get the floor, then do it. Because the sport is broken. What happened this offseason is proof. And I said it last time, I'll say it again. Trevor Bauer would have helped every single team in Major League Baseball. Yet the only two teams who seem to have any interest in him were the Dodgers and the Mets. That's not right. It's just not right. It's, it's a broken system. they got to fix it. And I'll repeat again the other point I made. Masahiro Tanaka decided to pitch in Japan instead of the United States because nobody wanted to pay him. And you can tell me that Tanaka is not an ace, that he's not the best. And that's fine. I'll agree with you. But is there how many teams in baseball would benefit from having Tanaka on this bat? 25, 28? Sounds about right. Maybe even, all, maybe even all 30. Is there a single team who you could say definitively has five pitchers better than Masahiro Tanaka on their team? No. No, and yet the guy has to go to Japan. It's a joke. Baseball needs to fix it. These owners are colluding against the players. So I applaud the Dodgers. Good for them. I'm happy they spent money. I'm happy the Mets spent money. I wish more teams would. I also think something that's telling about the way the story is right now is I don't know if you saw the baseball prospectus odds to the teams make the playoffs this year. They put them out a couple of days ago. They went through all 30 teams. They gave the Baltimore Orioles a 0.0% chance of reaching the postseason. And this is before pitchers and catchers even report. So they basically tell you, Oriole fans, don't bother watching the season. We don't even think there's any mathematical scenario you can make the postseason. Yep. Yep. And, and don't forget the ripple effect of that, Mike. Because when the Orioles have, if you look at who's on the top of that list, it's the Yankees. And there's a ripple effect there. Because I think the Yankees were the highest percentage in the American League, if I'm not mistaken. And I think it was by a lot. Yeah, I think it was like 91% or something like that. So the Yankees know that. 
Now, they, they don't know what baseball prospectuses numbers are, but they, but don't kid yourselves. They do that themselves. And they say, who do we compete with in our division? Oh, we're going to win the division. So why would we go out and we don't need Trevor Bauer? We're going to win. We don't need him. And that, so it has a ripple effect. Not only are the Orioles terrible, but the other teams in their division, like the Yankees, can be a little bit cheaper on the margin because they know that they're going to win a division anyway. And then they're going to go with the same, you know, which is true in my opinion, but the same argument. If they go to the playoffs and they get knocked out in the first round, they're going to say, yeah, it's course serious. It's crap. Shoot. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's certainly a big problem around the sport. And I think one problem that is potentially an issue, something the NBA is running into right now, is that as of right now, because they didn't take the deal from the pl- from the owners, the players said, we're going to stick to our originally planned schedule, which is a full 162. We're flying all over the country. We have games on the West Coast. We have East Coast teams flying West. And the issue with this is, like, if the normal calendar baked in, it's not a problem. But, like, if you have a COVID spot here where maybe one team has an outbreak and they can't play, like, and let's say the Marlins got unlucky again. They have an outbreak and they're on the West Coast. Rescheduling those games would be a pain in the neck. You're probably going to have to do what happened in the NFL, uh, where you know the Denver Broncos essentially played a game without a quarterback. And you're probably just going to have to say we're going to have to figure it out. You have minor league teams call up some kid from Single A and let him pitch, and uh, it would be a disaster. But I, I don't think they have much of a choice because of what you said. You, you can't. The travel makes it hard. Last year they were able to do season because there was no wasn't much travel. Cross country travel is going to make this impossible. So you're, you're not going to be able to say, oh, there was a COVID test, change canceled. You're going to have to say, all right, COVID test, find somebody else. Find a kid in the minor league, get him on the mound. I think that's why the seven-inning doubleheaders are here because they might say, okay, we might have enough, might not have enough today, but we'll have to get some guys in the Myers and play two tomorrow. Yep. And, uh, and you might see a lot of kids who otherwise would never be in the major league uh, up there. And, they may, and if it gets bad enough, don't be surprised if they relax the 40-man roster role. Yeah, that would be interesting to see what happens there. Although the hope for baseball is maybe you have a rough April and May, but as more vaccines get into arms, you got to feel like also that the government may also help Major League Baseball out because they may see this as an opportunity to say, hey, look, let's use baseball players as a public example to build vaccine confidence in the public who is a little questioning about it and say, hey, like if Justin Turner or Mike Trout gets their vaccine on camera, maybe we'll convince people to do it. So they figure, okay, we will have to go through one rough month. And once we get our shots and when Gerald pop comes eligible, maybe they get pushed to the front of the line, which I think MLB sort of banking. I think that's what they're hoping for. Maybe I could see it. Uh, look, the vaccine rollout is a complicated issue because it's, it's, you know, it's the federal government, but it involves state governments and how the state governments are going to prioritize it. So as I'm sure the listeners of this podcast know, all of a sudden New York says, okay, now anybody with a comorbidity can go get it except that if you look at the list of underlying conditions, it's essentially anybody who's ever been sick is so long. So that's one state. Then you have another state like Connecticut where they're saying, no, 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 only old people. Some states are letting teachers get it. Other states aren't letting teachers get it. Some states have first responders. Some states have people like, like your situation with your job. It's, it's super complicated. So can the federal government preempt all that and say, yeah, we're just going to take control and we're going to vaccinate Major League Baseball? Yes. But do you think that's a good PR move? And that, that could really backfire on the federal government. That's not what I'm saying. That's what I say do right now. I feel like once you get to the point where you're comfortable, where you say, okay, we've done enough of these other groups and we're going to go to Gen Pop. 
I think at that point, that's when you're going to say, okay, maybe we'll push Major League Baseball up a bit to sort of convince people around the fence to get the vaccine. I could see that, but uh, that could be June or July. Yeah. We just don't know yet. I, I know that the predictions have varied. I saw Fauci uh, had pushed his May prediction back to July. And I, and I get that a big part of it is Johnson & Johnson. Uh, as I understand it, their vaccine's up for approval, if not this week, then next week. It's, it's coming close. So uh, that, that will be a big boost once we get a third vaccine on the market. But yeah, uh, I could see that. But baseball is going to have a rough first half of the year. Um, although I think they got some surprisingly good news that Governor Cuomo is going to let some fans in the stadium. Yeah, that was a big shock when it came out last week. I know they've done the playoff games, the Bills, they started using the test cases. And now we've seen this where starting next week, we're going to have the, starting this week, as of you're listening to this, the Brooklyn Nets, the New York Knicks, the Rangers, they're going to let to about 20%, uh, 10% in most of the fans in the buildings. So that's about 2,000 at the guard. The Nets are starting with 200. And I think it's going to be interesting because the Knicks have, let, have dropped their prices. They said, oh, 50 bucks to get in and up to 380. And I think good job by the Knicks there because I'd heard rumors about maybe the Nets are going to try and like bilk the price a little bit, try and get some money back. So I think all things considered, it's not a bad pricing market for the Knicks. No, it's, it's a... It's- surprising and it's fair but yeah they can gouge the hell out of these prices because look COVID is very serious and uh, anybody who tells you it's not you know just show them the death count I think we lost more Americans than we did in World War One and World War Two combined it, it's a lot of people who have died but that said there are a lot it's not the there are a lot of people who are in very low risk groups so I just don't believe that there's not 2,000 people in New York State who said, yeah, I'll go to the next game. I'll pay for that, and uh, and people will pay for it. So well, essentially what I'm trying to say is that there's going to be high demand. Yes, it's going to be somewhat weakened by people who are uh, afraid or fearful of getting sick. But there'll be a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'll go. And I think they could gouge the hell out of the prices. So good job by the Knicks not doing that. Uh, and I, I hope a lot of teams don't do that. Because, you know, it's not right. A lot of people still have economic issues. A lot of people have lost a lot of work. A lot of people don't have the same amount of income as they had a couple years ago. And it's not, it would be like a greedy move to say, hey, like, I lost my money. I'm going to charge more and make up some of the profits I'm losing by not having games without fans until now. I agree. I, I agree with you. And, uh, and I think they could get away with it. Because while you're right that a lot of people lost money, there's plenty of other people who didn't. And, you know, people who maybe you know, have some sort of remote working from home type job. Didn't really lose that much money. And I was like, yeah, I'll drop two grand to go watch the net net today. I don't care. Can't have that. So I think it's a good job of the net. You know, this is a little different than you get into the the price debate all the time. Oh, should you price gouge when there's a disaster over bottles of water and gas? And that's a whole different issue. But here you're talking about basketball games. You're not talking, you don't need to distribute water to everybody or basketball games to everybody. So good job by the Knicks saying, you know what, we're going to keep it equitable anyway. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think uh, this is sort of a guide. I think we just to see if more states adopt this. Like, okay, like here you go. Like you have to sh- like you show up, you wear your mask to the game. You have to register a negative PCR COVID test. So I know the Knicks, I was reading there at least earlier, they have like part with Northwell health here in New York where they can set you up to register for an appointment. So you get in on time. I think, 
that's sort of the way they're going to look at it, sort of reduce liability, say, hey, like, you, we made we tested everyone on the way in, and they all showed up negative. So, like, if something happens, we have info. We're keeping them to their pods so we can limit spread. I think it's going to start out small like this. I, what do you think about the PCR test? I like it. Uh, I don't see why not. Uh, I, I, I Why not take that extra level of precaution? You know, they're free, as far as I know. So you don't have to pay for it. So you know what? Yeah, it's an extra layer. It's an extra burden. But again, people will do it. There's been enough people who will say, yeah, all right, fine, I'll go get tested. Yeah. To go to the basketball game. Yeah, because now people are just tired of sitting in their house and they say, okay, take a test and wear a mask. You can go go watch the Nets play and see the big three for the first time. You say, sure, I'll do it. Yeah. And, and why not? Why not take that extra level of precaution? It's not a huge inv- invasive thing. I mean, uh, I don't know. I've been tested for COVID before. You swab your nose, you don't even feel it anymore. It's not like you saw a, a year ago when they're sticking the thing all the way up to your brain. They don't, they don't do that anymore. So, uh, so why not? Uh, I'm fine with that. I think it's a good idea. And, and you're right. If in the event of a lawsuit, that would be good evidence for the defense. to Say, hey, look, uh, we tested every single person. Yeah, they came in. Ne- they came in negative. Like they. Like, that's not a responsibility what happens two days after they leave the state and they test positive. Yeah, they, uh, right. Every, we made sure that everybody in there was negative and wore their mask. So it's not our fault. So, so yeah, that's good defense. Uh, I like it. I, I, I'm fine with it. Uh, I'm, I'm actually surprised that it hasn't taken off more. Uh, I thought that airlines would require it. And I, they have it. They've actually fought against it. And I'm surprised by that. Yeah, I think we're, personally, this is my opinion, I think it's going to be how we start out. I feel like as more people getting vaccinated, I think there will be a point, especially if you're right about the transmissibility thing and that, that the research in Israel proves that people who are vaccinated for this disease do not have the ability to transmit it, even if they've come into contact with someone who has it. You may see a point where, like, if you're vaccinated and you have the little card with you that shows you got the shots, you flash that, and then that's your way in instead of, Getting the PCR test, I feel like that's eventually what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I agree, but I do want to clarify something just because I don't want to get anybody's hopes up. The, the research in Israel did not prove that you cannot transmit the disease. So I want to rephrase that. They Early don't. data shows that you're about 90% less likely. So it's not impossible, but it was 90% less likely to do so. And it's preliminary data. That's what I read, but you know that that's if you think of let's do the math. If the vaccine's ninety five percent effective, then you already only have a five percent chance of even getting sick in the first place. And now, if you're telling me that you only have a ten percent chance or a ninety percent less likely chance than normal, rather, of transmitting it, you know, you start adding the percentages together, and you're talking about low, low odds. So it's it's good data it's early data it doesn't prove it and it doesn't prove it's impossible but it's it's a good start it is a good start it's something where like especially like it's one where you sort of i want to sort of see how they play this out and see like you know what the numbers are in the community like how the spread goes down sort of like all factors you got to weigh into yourself it's like you have to especially like while you're waiting for the shot you say weigh all these things you decide you want do i want to go to the ballpark today or like do I have time to stop and get the PCR test today? Like, if I'm working, like, there's all things you got to weigh in now. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? It's it's a start, and let's uh, 
let's just hope that come the all-star break or a little bit after we can be talking about a normal or relatively normal baseball season. Yeah, that would be the hope because I mean, I feel like that I, the way that it sounds like, and based and again, this, these numbers change all the time based on when the vaccines are dropping. I think my hunch is that like, we're going to start out about 10% of crowds. If the case numbers keep dropping and these, and the variants of the disease don't take off and stuff like that. I feel like we're going to get a point where, you know, maybe you're at like 25% by Memorial day. I feel like by the end of the season, it's just, and ideally for the owners by the playoffs and you're able to get like a much closer to full crowds than you are at the start. I hope I agree with you. And I hope that that's the case. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to do baseball preview and over under at some point, but I, I will say that it looks like right now, uh, thoroughly, hopefully nobody gets hurt. But right now, I think we're in for a really good baseball season here in New York. Yeah. I, I also, think we've got two very good teams. I also hope that, like, it's only five playoff teams. I feel like the intrigue is much higher if it's five as opposed to seven. I agree. I, I hope that's the case, too. I just, I think we're going to have a great season. I think we got two really good teams. Uh, I, if you, right now, I say the Yankees are the best team in the American League, and I said the best are the second best team in the National League. Yeah, so I, I, I think we got good teams. So I'm hoping that we get a nice New York baseball summer. It'll be a lot of fun, Phil. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. All right, thanks, Mike. Uh, I appreciate you having me on again, and uh, you know, hopefully this uh, this information is helpful to people. But keep reading up about it. That's that's what I and that's what I urge people to do. Read up about it. Read whatever you can, and go get your shot when when you're eligible. Follow the science. That's what that's what we're trying to say here. Yeah, that's uh, as Andrew Cuomo likes to say. Yeah, well, let's not talk too much about Governor Cuomo. He has some issues off, off away from the COVID stuff, but <laughs> he did. Uh, he had so he had a rough uh, couple of weeks, but but yeah, uh, you know, get your shot. Uh, it, it's it's annoying. It's a process, but we're all going to be better off for it. We will, and I will also ask for before I let you go. Have you heard about the CC Sabathia documentary on HBO Max? I have not. Uh, what what is it? Tell me about it. I, I actually just kind of got into HBO Max recently. I know it came out a while ago, but I never really got into it. But I recently just kind of opened it and realized, oh my god, they have a huge content library. So, what's this documentary? Well, it's a documentary on like basically follows CC through his last season with the Yankees, goes through his career, goes through his bouts alcoholism. It is a great watch. I'm going to take a deeper dive into it with Alan Austin next on the podcast right after this. You don't get to control how things end. That's just not the way life works. For a long time, I don't think I knew how to handle that reality. That's where addiction came in. And honestly, I almost blew it all. To this day, I don't think people realize how close I came to losing everything. That's why I wanted to film some big parts of the last year of my career in 2019. To document the ending of that chapter of my life. To try and show that I could have my own kind of happily ever after. But the end of a story doesn't mean anything if you don't know everything that came before it. Dixie, Dixie! 
think back to those days in my grandmother's backyard, all the dreams I had back then, it all came true. All right, we are back. You guys heard the trailer for the HBO Max documentary about CC Sabathia, Under the Grapefruit Tree. Join me today. We both watched the documentary. We had some thoughts on it. Alan also is here. Alan, how are you? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me. I have to say, one thing I'll give HBO always a ton of credit for, they know how to make a good trailer because even the Tiger Woods one, the the trailer for that documentary is so incredible, even the doc itself was not. I, it's, uh, it's quite a skill to be able to release a good trailer. And how many films over the years have we seen a trailer be super pumped and we see the film and we're like, ah, oh, gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, they do a great job at the trailers and uh, they, they just have such high quality production value in general. Yeah, they absolutely do. Before we get into the doc, I want to update the p- people listening to the podcast in chronological order here about some breaking news in the baseball world. We recorded to, with both the baseball beat and our legal guy, Phil Freyetta. We recorded them last night. The Mets made a move. That last night was obviously Thursday, the 18th. We're here on Friday, the 19th, and the Mets did make a new move. Add some starting pitching depth signed Taiwan Walker, two-year deal, $20 million, player option for the third year. I think this is a good move for the Mets to sort of round out the offseason. What do you think? Great move. I mean, they've had the money to spend. They've missed out on some big free agents, and you're not breaking the bank for a guy who's entering, I believe, his age 28 season, who shows that he has upside based on his 2020 and 2019 a little bit. But here's a guy that, was a top prospect for a couple of years in the Mariners organization, bounced around the league a little bit. He's still young, and he's finally maybe overcome all these injuries that have played him. I think it's a great move for the Mets and a cheap one. Yeah, it's also good for the Mets to give themselves some rotation stability because next year both Marcus Stroman and Noah Syndergaard are free. Now you don't have to re-sign both of them. You could have four good guys. If you only retain one of the two, you're in good shape for next year. Competition breeds the best in everybody, so you're theoretically providing depth to keep everyone on their A-game and, you know, sink or swim. And I think the Mets have done a really good job at adding bullpen and rotation pieces that can push each other. And with Syndergaard coming back, he's on for these guys to perform. Yeah, the, and to go from one free pitch to another, who was a much more high-caliber sign than the, the uh, Taiwan Walker deal, CC Sabathia, the documentary, and... You got to talk a little bit off the air about this. What's your overall take on this film, Under the Grapefruit Tree? You can stream it on HBO Max now. I'll say this. Same with the Craig Carton doc. If you're a fan of the subject, so if you're a CC Sabathia fan, this is going to be right up your alley. It's an inside look at him and his family, told through his eyes, his story. It covers a little bit of the ups and the downs all together. gets into his family history a little bit. So if you're a fan of DC, this is a documentary for you, 110%. If you're coming at it with no knowledge of the player, if you're just, uh, let's say, a, a person who's scrolling HBO Max and lands on this, it's a good documentary. You know, I don't feel it's anything earth-shattering, but it did what needed to be done and told the story that DC wanted to tell. So in that regard, it's it's good. It's it's a good movie. I don't think it's anything earth-shattering or truly revealing. Or I, I mean to say, I don't think there's anything that's a true new revelation. But it is effective in telling his story the way he wants. 
I think it's fine. I think in, in parlance of the movies industry, so where this pop culture thing fits in here, I'd say sort of like the Star Trek Beyond of documentaries where, you know, it's fine. It has a good story. They do the... They do a solid job. They hit the they go for the double. They hit the double. Like if they wanted to be ambitious, they could have made it more deep and more nuanced. But like considering creative problems, Sir CC had in this process, it's a fine product. It's nothing that makes you say, "Oh boy, I got to go watch it again." Yeah, I mean, I think you know, congratulations to CC for overcoming his addiction and for making it out alive, which, as we see in the beginning of this film, wasn't necessarily a guarantee. I do think they don't ever cross that barrier to true, you know, despair other than he had a really bad drinking problem. And maybe there wasn't that barrier to cross, you know, but I mean, uh, the family was an executive producer. Uh, who knows what they were willing to say and not willing to say, who knows what their intentions were with the piece. Was it truly a post-retirement sort of brief look into his life that they wanted to get out there for his podcast or for his popularity. Who knows? Who knows what the intention was of the piece, but the piece as it stands now is good. Like you said. Yeah, it's solid. And I think obviously interesting choice here because a lot of these docs, like, I mean, it starts with the Craig Carton documentary watched back when is that Craig was the narrator of his story in this one. And they did the same right. He went CC Sabathia as the narrator of his tale. And we had interviews cutting with like his wife, Brian Cashman, some teammates on occasion. But what do you think of the choice of CC as the narrator? To be honest with you, I wasn't a fan and it has nothing to do with the choice of CC being a narrator. It just sounded very scripted and robotic. It did not seem like a human being speaking his truth. It's, sounded like a guy reading a script that was written for him based on his life. Now, when they do the one-on-ones, the confessional, he comes off very authentic. You know, there are tears in his eyes. He's telling the stories with emotions and, and he swears and he's just letting it all on the line. But the, the narration over it is just very robotic, very scripted, hard to listen to, in fact, in my opinion. Yeah, I did notice that, too, is that it seems like two different people when CC is just answering questions to the camera as opposed to CC like, narrating. And you're definitely right. It does feel like that maybe whoever the producer was, the director said, OK, like, let's hit these points. Here's some some line for you to follow. I don't know if CC had input in that, but it did come off a bit robotic in terms of like, OK, like you have to mention this. And here's how I would say opposed to how here's how CC would say it. It also sounds like he's doing a narrator voice. Yeah. Like he's trying his best to narrate instead of just tell the story. Yeah, maybe it's like, maybe sort of he feels the idea, because I know he has a podcast of his own, he's trying to launch and trying to get into the broadcast. And he may feel like, oh, I have to do this to show, showcase my range a little bit. But I don't think it worked. No, the, the narration and the confessionals are night and day. The, the confessionals, the one-on-ones are what make this movie to be quite honest, worth watching. The narration is a a very big miss, swing and a miss, so to speak. Yeah, it is a swing and a miss. I do think also, like, it's fine the first half when you see the beginning of his career, you see him go with the Indians, you, f- you remember how good he was in Milwaukee, and that's something I feel like I honestly forgot about with CC was, like, everybody knows the Indian stuff. I forgot the Milwaukee half a season when he was so brilliant down the stretch, earned that contract with the Yankees. It's funny that you forgot about that because that's still what I think about first when I think of CC. It's not his run with the Yankees. It's that miraculous grinding out every appearance run for Milwaukee 
when he went over there in 08. And my friend and I still talk about it. It's like a thing of legend. How he just went out there all the time and dominated. And that's what I first think of when I think of CC Sadabi's career. And believe me, as a Detroit Tigers fan, him as an Indian, I, I couldn't stand him for many years, but I respected him. Yeah, well, CC's run probably also came at the expense of the Mets in 08. So maybe I suppressed that memory a little bit. Maybe, yeah. It's definitely a sore spot for you. You buried that down deep, apparently. Yeah, and I think most of it was like pretty, like, if you followed CC at all, you have a good idea. I think the only really rel- like revelatory stuff here was the extent of CC's alcoholism. It peaks in 2015. We know that he went to rehab like before the playoffs, before the wild card game, they lost the Astros. I think the most compelling part was like how he described sort of going through the process of like how his drinking progressed to the point where they go to that series in Baltimore, they have the rain out on the Saturday, and then he gets so drunk, he shoves the bullpen session on Sunday, the last day of the season, because he can't stand up straight and do his job. That's when he's like, oh, wow, I need help. But I think, to me, that, that was the most effective part of the whole documentary. Yes, and then he piggybacks that with on the ride home to check himself into rehab. He stopped for two bottles of Hennessy to have like a send-off for himself. Like That's the stuff that is like, you know, that's what a lot of people out in this in this world can relate to. So hopefully it teaches people that it's never too late and you can overcome these demons. Yeah, I think that's the best part of the of this is his whole story because like to be honest, like his career, as good as he was, they did not need to get into that much of it because I mean, yes, it was cool to learn that the Yankees made an offer on the very first day of free agency. I think we kinda knew that already or at least had a sense of it. This was the stuff that I think got my interest the most. Yeah, this stuff and the stuff with his father and the elements of death being so prevalent in his life and his inability to cope with it. And that coupled with the fact that, you know, he doesn't have that male role model since his dad died in 03 and he's constantly trying to find someone who can, he can lend his, you know, his head on, he can lean his head on their shoulder and get it right and love and he he seems to have really had problems with not being able to have that after you know his cousin also died so that stuff was very effective and that's the stuff that kept me engaged yeah i also thought the other thing was a little interesting was seeing a little bit behind the scenes from 19 i thought it was a good way to sort of start out drop us in his final appearance and just go through his story then come back to it I had forgotten too because that was a sort of one of those yankee playoffs i forgot he left the game basically because he got hurt and he ended up having to basically as he said, get dragged off the field. And I thought that was a good sort of way to sort of fit him in today's world. Like, hey, like, you, not everybody gets the storybook ending where you're Peyton Manning, you win the Super Bowl, you get to retire out on top. Like, a lot of guys just go out like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's what real life is and what sports are. Athletes can break down over time. I mean, how often do we think of a 35-year-old man in sports as, like, ready to sign up for AARP? Like, in our minds as fans, you know, these people are old, broken down, has-beens, but they're still young people on this earth. They're still, you know, it's unfortunate that this 39-year-old man at the time was broken down and couldn't do what he loves anymore, but he's still got a lot of life ahead of him. So we have to remember as sports fans that just because they're old within the context of the game, they still have a lot of life ahead. And to see him go out this way was unfortunate, but... He's still going to do so much more in the sport and in, in the public eye that it's just the beginning. 
Yeah, indeed. I think now's a good time. I think we should grade this thing. What do you think the grade is overall on the on the under the grapefruit tree? I'd give it a a B because it was effective. It told a nice story. It it was you know high production value. Even if we didn't care for the narration, you know. It used a lot of good footage, a lot of behind the scenes, like you said, and Cece's a likable guy. You know, the same story for a guy who's like miserable or who seems negative is not going to be as effective, but this, this did the job. I just, there wasn't anything truly revealing or monumental or anything that, you know, really shocked us as a viewer. So as a documentary, you know, I'd say it's a B. Yeah, I think I turn. I think I'm right there with you on the B. I sort of put it in perspective of the three HBO dots I've seen over the last like few months: the Carton one, Tiger, and this. Tiger is the worst because they basically tried to go for shock value there and didn't give you a full picture on it. They gave you some nice stuff, but a lot of it was just like made you feel icky watching it. Carton's one I'd give the A because it was well done. You get raw emotion from Craig. You learn a lot of new things. Maybe it was rushed a little bit for the release, but I think it was very well done. Now, this is in the middle. This is a B. Like, it's a, fun, it's a solid story. They tell it pretty well. They don't, like, do anything that really knocks your socks off, but, like, I don't feel like I wasted my time watching it. No, not at all. And and like I said, Sebastian and his wife Amber are likable people. Like, they are, when they are on screen and they are speaking, we are listening because we want to hear what they have to say. So, Kudos to, to CC for putting his, his life on the, you know, out there for us to, to see. And uh, hopefully it helps people who are struggling, uh, you know, affects their life in a positive way. And the Tiger doc did not include Tiger. If this didn't include CC or if Carton didn't include Craig, it's just so much less of a product. So to have the actual subject of the documentary be available, present, and truthful is a big help. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's streaming on HBO Max. I think you and I are both agreeing here. If you're a Yankee fan or you like CC or like this kind of material appeals to you, I think you'll like it. But like, it's not a must watch. No, if you have, you know, if you're scrolling and you, you know, you're trying to get with, with the season coming up, if you're trying to get in the mood and, you know, take in as much content as possible to get pumped up for the season, I would say, sure, throw this on. Yeah, it's a, it's a crisp 66 minutes, too. You're not sitting there for two hours like or four if you're watching Tiger. Yeah, no, it's a fast watch for sure. Very easy watch. It was a very easy watch. Alan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I have you follow on social media. Give us some of the stuff you're up to. Of course. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for the platform. I am on Instagram at Alan Austin Sports, Twitter at Alan underscore Austin underscore. And new episode, we just had a new episode drop of the Alan Austin Show. So that's making a comeback. I'm also doing the American Scene Podcast, where my co-host Ben and I discuss movies with American in the title. And I have been doing random baseball player shout-outs on social media. So if you like random players from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, make sure to follow me to, to see who's going to be next. When is the random Desi Relifer shout out coming? What a drop. You know what? I'll make that. I'll make that uh, Monday. Monday will be the Desi Relifer random player shout out by request of Mike. Yeah. As I remember, he, he, he may have pissed off on the Mets at the end of his career. So Desi Relifer is a name drop. All right. Monday, February 22nd will be Desi Relifer. 
When the po- so when this podcast is in your ears, you'll hear about Desi Relifer from Alan Austin. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Mike. All right. And that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guests, uh, Will Schneiderhan, Anthony Sarbanelli from the baseball beat, breaking, ready to break down all the stuff from the Mets and the Yankees, get us ready for the start of spring training and the potential start of the season in a couple of weeks. I also thank Phil Freda for taking a further dive in the world of baseball, breaking down all the stuff with the COVID rules and all that fun stuff. I also want to thank Alan Austin for hopping on just a minute ago to talk about the CC Sabathia documentary, Under the Grapefruit Tree. Definitely a doc I highly recommend on HBO Max. Check it out if you have the chance. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my thoughts on the end of the Australian Open, I gave you the points to watch in the middle of the tournament last week. Here are my thoughts on the wrap-up of the event and our champs. Check out the vlog or just end the suffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those podcast platforms. You can also leave your feedback and star ratings as well. They'll make this podcast even better going forward. You can also check out my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can find all the individual conversations of the episode there. If you want to hear my chat with the baseball beat about all of these latest in Major League Baseball, the offseason wrap-up, you can check that out on YouTube, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. It's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to dive into the NBA. Midseason is coming up. All-star break on the burn. We'll catch up on the NBA. Knicks, Nets, Luan Division, and more. So I hope you have a better week than the Pirates fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.